Thanks for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and follow at Church in the City. This represents the broken down walls of Jerusalem that Nehemiah is going to build, help rebuild. That's what it looks like, looked like before Nehemiah got there. So I'm continuing our series in Nehemiah. The title of my preach, as you like to call it, is called Nehemiah Superhero. You know, lots of weeks Steve talks about Black Panther or some hero in Star Wars or Star Trek or Lord of the Rings, and I'm going to confess to you right now, I've never seen any of those movies. So when he talks about it, I just kind of la 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 while he says it. But I do have superheroes. Here's my definition of a superhero. Superheroes are anointed with supernatural power that enables them to face opposition and are dedicated to fighting evil, protecting the people, and battling supervillains. This morning, I'm going to tell you how to be a superhero. My hope is that at the end of the service, you will know and be fully persuaded that you are anointed with supernatural power, that you are fully prepared and equipped with, for every kind of opposition and temptation that you're facing right now or that you will ever face in the future. If you have Jesus, if you have the Holy Spirit, if you have a relationship with the Father, you are anointed with supernatural power. You have anointing and authority from that relationship. You are strategically positioned prepared and equipped to face every kind of opposition or temptation that you will face in the future. Nehemiah is a superhero. David is a superhero battling the supervillain Goliath. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are superheroes battling the supervillain King Nebuchadnezzar. Queen Esther, our favorite, is a superhero battling the supervillain Haman who wants to destroy the whole Jewish nation. God had strategically positioned them to face opposition. He had prepared and equipped them to battle the supervillains. They were partnering with God to restore the promises of God and the presence of God for the people of God. They were partnering with God to restore the promises of God and the presence of God for the people of God. These superheroes faced opposition because of their confidence in what God had promised in his word. They faced opposition because of compassion for the word of God, for what God had promised in his word. They faced opposition out of conviction that what God had promised, he was fully able to do. He had the power to do what he had promised. 
They had the long view. They lived wholeheartedly. They made a decision to belong, to be part of building and restoring the Jewish heritage, the Jewish community. They had a vision. They had a burden that had deeply transformed them and gifted them with intimacy with the Father and that freed them from everything that would hold them down and hold them back. You can choose to be like Nehemiah or Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego or Queen Esther or you can be just like everybody else. We can choose to be a superhero. Nehemiah was strategically positioned to face opposition, prepared and equipped to battle the supervillains. He was partnering with God to restore the promises of God and the presence of God for the people of God. So here's his position. He was a Jewish servant. He was an exile in Babylon. He'd never even been to Jerusalem. He was serving the most powerful pagan king in the whole world, facing potential opposition all the time, and he was cupbearer to the king, which meant that every mealtime, the food and the wine that were served to the king would be brought to Nehemiah. He would taste the food, taste the wine, and if anyone were interested in killing the king, poisoning him with, with uh, poison in the food, Nehemiah would get it first, and he would die instead of the king. Literally, life and death were in the power of his tongue. So Nehemiah was cupbearer. He was also burden-bearer. He had heard the news from his brothers who had come from Jerusalem telling him that the people were in disgrace and greatly troubled, and the walls were broken down, which meant that the city had no defense, which meant that the people had no defense. And Nehemiah was heartbroken when he heard this news. He was, he was brokenhearted and I don't know who wrote Psalm 137. It doesn't say, so I think Nehemiah wrote it. Here's what he says. He says, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Jerusalem. There on the willows we hung our harps, for there our captors required of us songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, Sing us the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. He was brokenhearted when he heard this news. But he had a God-given position. He was anointed with supernatural power. He's filled with the power and presence of Jesus that has deeply transformed his life. He's been gifted with a gift of intimacy with the Father that frees him from everything that would hold him down and hold him back from going to the king, going to Jerusalem, and facing the opposition in Jerusalem. He lives out of his anointing and his authority, 
from his relationship with the Father. He was willing to face opposition because of his confidence in what God had promised in the Word. He was willing to face opposition because of his compassion for the Word of God. He was willing to face opposition out of conviction that what God had promised, he had the power to do. God had strategically positioned him to face opposition. He was prepared and equipped to battle the supervillains. Scary. It's scary. Scary to think of God's strategy in your life, in your future, in your plans for your life. Oh, we love that verse in Jeremiah 29 that says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. We love that verse, don't we? However, God has the long view. It's very different from our plans, very different from our plans for our future. It's never the way I thought it would be. I love to hear that in, when I'm counseling with couples and they say, well, this is never the way I thought it would be. Oh, really? <laughs> is it ever the way you thought it would be? I mean, for any of you, is it ever the way you thought it would be? Is it? I mean, if it is, then just wait. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm strategically positioned by God. I don't think I'm prepared and equipped. I'm not prepared and equipped for fill in the blank. That divorce, that separation, that betrayal, that abortion. That sickness, that brain bleed. Oh, I'm not ready for that. Why me? I heard you ask that, Hannah. Why me? Not that plan. Not that future. This will cost me almost everything. Scary. Since this message is on the opposition that Nehemiah faces in chapter 4 of the book, I was asked to tell a little bit about the opposition, some of the opposition our family has faced. So I'm doing a retro thing in honor of James. <laughs> this is a very, very retro picture of our perfect family. It's probably, my friends Walter and Darlene know my family at this, this age. My beautiful children, Anne, Abigail, Nathan, and Susan. My husband, my first husband, me. People said we were the perfect family. So what kinds of opposition did we face? Not all at once, the way I'm going to go through them real quickly with you. It's over a period of time. It's not the way I thought it would be. We had a two-month-old daughter who died of a heart defect, which probably could re be repaired now. Um, 
We were 24. She was our second child. And looking back on it, I wasn't aware of it at the time, but looking back on it, I believe that was the beginning of God positioning me, preparing and equipping me for opposition and temptation that I would face the rest of my life. We had a challenging marriage. We had a lot of financial problems. Um, I never could figure out why my husband couldn't hold a job. He was really smart. Um, But we were cars taken away, houses taken away. I mean, tough stuff, homeless. Um, And then, at the end of our 25-year marriage, which I didn't realize was going to be the end, he died. He had been sick for about a year, not knowing what was going on, but he died of AIDS, which outed his secret homosexual life for all of our marriage, probably. We, we kept his secret, and for seven years we didn't tell anybody he died of AIDS. We said he died of cancer, and we just tried to live our life and go on as if nothing happened. Well, nothing happened. It was probably the worst seven years of my life. I probably made the worst mistakes of my life in those seven years. Three months after my husband died, my 18-year-old son Nathan was killed in a car accident, and we spiraled down. The rest of us just lost it. We, we moved to Chicago right after that, and our lives were filled with addictions and abortions and adulteries, all kinds of sexual sin, more deception, more secrecy, broken walls, our family, all the walls were broken. My youngest daughter had been working in New York and moved to Hollywood and began a very public homosexual affair, perhaps in defiance to her father's very secret affair. And that took our family in a whole different, difficult place of opposition to her life. Um, And that relationship broke and remains broken. It cost us almost everything. Not the way I thought it would be. So what do we do? Where do we go? What do we do? Eventually, finally, we have to go. We have to go back to Jesus. Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem. We go to Jesus. We go to the cross. We worship, we fall before the Father, we faint, we are wooed and allured into the power and presence of Jesus. That deeply transforms our lives and gifts us with intimacy with the Father and frees us from all that stuff that could or would or should hold us back. We renounce the lies. We forgive. 
We heal. We take the long view. God's view. We choose his plan. His future. We find a promise and presence. We are lavished with mercy and grace and peace. We are anointed with supernatural power to enable us to face opposition and face temptation. We live out of the anointing and the authority that we have been given from the Father. I overcome because of my confidence in the Word of God for what He has promised to me. I overcome because of compassion for the Word of God. I overcome out of conviction that what God has promised is a power to do in my life and in my family's life. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Holy Spirit. It's all about the Father. It's about living in the authority, the anointing in the authority. It's about God fulfilling his word in my life. So here I stand, superhero. Here's a quick review of what's happened with Nehemiah. He lives in anointing and authority. He's gotten authority from the king, unimaginable favor. He has authority to go to, for the, he has authority with the governors through this land that he's going to travel. He's going to travel a thousand miles. He's never been to Jerusalem. Babylon is almost a thousand miles. And he gets authority from, from all the governors along the way. And he gets authority from the army that he's, that, that he's traveling with. He's probably never even fought a battle. He's been a cupbearer. So he gets authority with this army. I think it's really funny. You know, here's Nehemiah over these men who are lifelong career military people. But he gets authority from God. But when he gets to Jerusalem, he faces opposition. He knew that was going to happen. And that's, that's what chapter 4 is about. I'm summarizing chapter 4 very quickly because it's a lot of come and go, back and forth conversation. So he gets to Jerusalem and the enemy says, Nehemiah, you're not a superhero. I mean, look at you. You're weak and tired. You can't do anything over here. And Nehemiah says, the God of heaven will give us success. Oh, Nehemiah, those feeble Jews, they've been here all the time. Why don't they do something about it? We remember the Lord, and we will fight for our families. We'll come down and kill you, you feeble Jews. This is going to cost you everything. Our God will fight for us. It may cost us everything. It may cost us everything. But they start rebuilding the walls. I mean, look at this. They start rebuilding the walls. And you guys are good with Legos, right? I'm just learning from my three-year-old great-grandson. So we start building the walls, and we start rebuilding our lives. They rebuild the walls in 52 days. They become... Superheroes. 
What is this story all about? For Nehemiah, for the Jews, it's not just about walls and Jewish people. The first layer of the story, I think scripture always has layers, but the first layer is usually just the natural interpretation. The story is about facing opposition, rebuilding walls, rebuilding lives, rebuilding the walls to protect the place where God's name is going to dwell, the temple and God's people. The first layer is just the natural, the historical interpretation. It's about walls and the Jewish people. The next layer of the story is about us. It's about you and me. It's about us. This is the spiritual level, the supernatural level of this story. Our walls get broken down. I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one with broken down walls. I know some of you. I, let's not, Steve, is that another insult? <laughs> I know us. I know people. <laughs> Our walls get broken down. We face opposition. We face temptation. We have an enemy. His name is Satan. He's a liar. We face the supervillains. And God prepares us and equips us. He anoints us with supernatural power. We overcome. We look back and we say, I look back and I say, we made it. He sees us and he says, you made it. You made it, Hannah. You made it, Steve and Debs and Rebecca and Caden. You made it. All of you have stuff and here you are. You have made it through until right now. You've made it. God sees that. He says, you made it. We are here as heirs of Nehemiah's confidence and compassion and conviction in what God had promised in his word. We are heirs, exiles to heirs, of Nehemiah's confidence and compassion and conviction that what God had said in his word he had the power to do. This story is about us. It's about us facing opposition, overcoming opposition, rebuilding our lives, rebuilding our intimacy with the Father. This story is about restoring us and rebuilding us. The second layer of the story is the supernatural interpretation of the story. Partnering with God does not rule out opposition. In fact, I believe he strategically strategically positions and prepares and equips us for opposition, temptation, anything that you're facing now or that you will face in the future. We have been giving, given anointing and authority from the Father, from the Holy Spirit, from Jesus. We live out of that anointing and authority. We take the long view. We live wholeheartedly. We make the decision to belong and to be part of this community or a community of worship. We make a decision to belong in this city, in this nation, in this kingdom. We have a vision and a burden that has deeply transformed our lives and has gifted us with intimacy with the Father. 
and has freed us from everything that would hold us down and hold us back. We partner with God or we'd be just like everybody else. We partner with God or we are just like everybody else. I said at the beginning that at the end of the service, I'd hope you'd be fully persuaded that you are anointed with supernatural power. That God has strategically positioned, prepared, and equipped you for any supervillain you are facing now or will face in the future. If you have Jesus, if you have the Holy Spirit, if you have a relationship with the Father, you are anointed with supernatural power. You have anointing and authority in that relationship. You live out of that authority, that anointing and authority. You can be a superhero. Or you can be just like everybody else. I can be a superhero. I want to be a superhero. I want to partner with God. I want to partner with you. Be a superhero. Partner with God. Now, what do you do with your Lego? Does everybody have a Lego? This Lego that you're holding represents some brick in your life, some stone in your broken-down wall. And I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit just might be speaking to you as I'm speaking, saying, oh, that's a place I need to build, that's a place I need to rebuild, that's a place I need to, to partner with God, partner with God's people. I need, to, I need to build something. So I want to bless this part of your life. Just hold it up if you don't mind. Let me see. I want to bless this part of your life, what this represents in your life. I want to bless you with supernatural power. I want to to bless you with the anointing of the Father so that you can live out of anointing and authority. I want to bless you with the power and presence of Jesus that would deeply transform your life and gift you with intimacy with the Father that would free you from anything that holds you down and holds you back from going to Jesus, going to the Father, anything that would hold you down, hold you back from partnering with the Father. I bless you in the name of Jesus. So now what we're going to do, second part, if you're willing, because I have to take these Legos back to my grandson, we're going to come up and build right here on the platform. And I'd like for you to just come up the worship team could come up and we're going to have the, the music cornerstone. But I just want you to start building right across the platform. 
Thanks again for listening. Subscribe on iTunes and visit us at churchinthecity.us. Church in the City. All of Jesus for everyone.